Resistance, Chapter 15, February 16, 1943, Lode's Ghetto. It took most of the day to find the perfect place to sneak into the ghetto, or for that matter, to find any place at all. We chose a spot on the northern boundary with a tall wooden wall that was rarely patrolled, which made me curious. Everywhere else we'd looked showed all the usual sights of noises of sights and noises of overcrowding. Not here. Esther noticed it too. Why is it so quiet? she whispered. Quiet can't be safe. I shrugged in response. Our choice is never between safe and not safe. It's not safe or not alive. That's all we have. This is the best place we've found. The only place we've found, I turned to her. Do we go in or not? Our entry location could be worse. On those occasions when I had to sneak in, I most dreaded the tall apartments just outside the ghetto walls that sometimes hovered overhead. Every window was a spyglass, every occupant a threat, especially at night. Young mothers up late with a baby, the elderly with gout, or even curious onlookers who wondered about life on the streets after curfew. Something as simple as an innocent glance out a window could create enormous problems. Esther nodded. We go in. More concerning now than our location were the snowflakes softly following around us. It was going to be a cold night. The tips of my fingers were already beginning to throb, but I hoped the weather would work to our advantage. This snow is a warning, Esther said, suddenly nervous. Maybe God is telling us to wait one more evening. Maybe God is offering to cover our tracks if we hurry, I replied. We waited until dark and wherever possible, walked toward the ghetto fence using well-worn paths in the snow or the footprints of guards who had passed this way before. When the tracks ran out, I glanced up at the new snowfall and whispered, If you're going to come, then let it be for our good. More than the cold or the wet layers of my clothing, I cared about not being seen. Esther was directly behind me with instructions to step exactly in my tracks, no matter what. If we were followed, I wanted the soldiers to believe there was only one of us to find. Once we came closer to the area we targeted to enter, it became obvious that this spot had been used before as a means for escape. A hole had been dug beneath the wood fence, small enough for the children who are most often used as smugglers by their hungry families. Esther would fit through the gap without too much trouble. It would be more difficult for me, but I was determined to make it through. You are the most determined child I'd ever seen, my mother used to say out of exasperation or admiration. I was never sure. If only determination had been enough to heal her pain, I missed her more than she would ever know. Esther and I crouched in front of the hole, listening for any signs of people on the other end. There were some sounds, but I couldn't quite identify what might be causing them. Clinking, shuffling, very strange. We heard no voices, but no gunfire either. That, at least, was good news. You should go first, Esther said, licking her lips. You know what to do. You'll know what to do better than me. It couldn't work that way tonight, I whispered. You go first, because I'll need your help to pull me through. After you're in, I'll send our bags under, and I'll come last. She shook her head. I don't know what to do when we're in there. These, Those are our people inside the walls, Esther. You'll know what to do. Now go. She took a deep breath, and we turned to, back to the gap, preparing to squeeze her through, when a hand gripped my shoulder tight and uncompromising, a sign that whoever had grabbed me was comfortable with the idea of causing pain, and he was. Isn't this interesting? Across from me, Esther's expression darkened from surprise to horror. 
The man who spoke to me had a Polish accent, but that didn't matter. He could get the immediate attention of dozens of Nazis with little more effort than a casual shout for help. The guns inside my bag were buried beneath sacks of flour. Even if I could get to one, firing a shot at this man would hardly keep the Germans away. Are you Jews? the man asked. In this darkness, and with my back to him, he wasn't sure. We're only bringing the people a bit of food. I kept my body between him and Esther. A good man like yourself can't object to that. He chuckled coarsely as if I told a joke, as if this were some sort of game between us. I turned just enough to get my first look at him, and as soon as I did, I knew exactly who this was, what he was. Schmazalek, the Polish word for lard, and he looked every part of it with his fleshy jawline, baggy eyes and limp, stringy hair. I immediately calculated what it would take to escape his grip if this went any further. He looked soft, but he'd survived this long, so he must be stronger than he looked and rotted to the core, no doubt about that. This man was a small Karnik. It was our name for the treacherous citizens who'd built careers on blackmailing Jews caught outside ghettos. They might only be one among a group of 5,000 other good Polish men and women, but that single individual could do more damage than the other 5,000 could ever do to help. Their sense of right or wrong was for sale and to the highest bidder, their morality, a willow in the wind, blowing this way or that. They'd protect the Jew or turn him into the Nazis, depending on who offered the better bribe or the fiercest threat. They were dough, willingly molded, pressed, and plied. But they existed because blackmail works, because people like me had no choice but to deal with men like him. He was here for money. I had some, but needed it to carry us through this mission. Ah, the small Schkownik eyed our bags. You have food in there? What else? Only a little food for the children in this ghetto, I replied. Please sit. What children? He looked generally confused, which confused me. Esther and I exchanged a glass. Glance. What do you mean? She asked. He shrugged, completely indifferent. Ask the Judenrat. His eyes returned to our sex. My point is that you don't need all that food, but I am a fair man. I'll take one bag and you keep the other. I firmly shook my head, trying to take control of that moment. I can't spare that much, sir. One sack of flour, perhaps, and... He leaned in close enough to me that I could smell his fetid breath. How well he must eat off the starvation and suffering of those who are trapped behind the walls. I'll take your entire bag and let you go. Refuse my generous offer, and I'll let the Germans know I found a Polish girl and her Jewish friend at the ghetto wall. After they arrest you... I'll take both your bags. I tried a threat of my own. They'll arrest you too. The Germans don't like blackmailers. It's all a game. You know that. German soldiers sell food up to the black market. You smuggle it in. I catch you and the other Germans punish you for having black market food. Do as I say and the game can end right here. Let us go and the game ends with starving people getting fed tonight. I forced a smile to my face. Let us help them. He considered that, then said, There are hungry poles too, but I want to be fair. I'll let you choose whose bag I take, you or your Jewish friend. Mine had weapons. When he found them, what would he do? Report his discovery to the Gestapo rather than risk being caught with illegal weapons? Or would he keep our secret and not draw the Gestapo's attention to himself? Esther was clearly thinking the same thing. 
My bag, then. She held it forward, too eager, too trusting. He stroked his chin, his eyes shifting from me to her and her to me again. Then from one sack to the other. You want me to take that sack? He reached for the food. Then this is the one I want. He tugged the handle, but my grip remained firm. I couldn't allow him to take it. Something in this sack must be valuable or dangerous, he chuckled again. Perhaps we'll let the Germans take it from you instead. Let me call them over. Almost as if on cue, a shadow of a Nazi soldier rounded the corner at the end of our street. The small Koenig may face a few minutes harassment for being caught after curfew, but it was nothing compared to the consequences we'd get, and we both knew it. His grin turned gold as the, cold as the night. Well, I released my grip, giving up food for dozens of people, and I every hope to start a resistance movement within loads. Worse still, he now held more than enough evidence to have me shot on sight. I was furious with his greed and ruthlessness, but I was angrier at myself for having been caught in the first place. The instant he was gone, Esther grabbed my arm. We've got to get in. She was right. The Nazi officer would pass by us soon. When Esther slid under the fence, I shoved her bag under. I was poised, positioning myself to slide under too when she whispered back to me, Kaya, this might be a mistake. You shouldn't enter. Why not? But no answer came.